You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Welcome to Domecast, the news and observer political podcast. We have an unusual edition today. I'm Don Vaughn with Andy Spay. We're both political reporters that started our week covering a Trump rally and that was the most vanilla aspect of the week, really. So, <laughs> Andy, why don't you start uh, with, like, what's going on? That's right. Trump was in town on Monday to rally the troops to go vote in two special elections, District 9 and District 3. Uh, there were no cinder back chants. There was no, you know, fighting with Ilian Omar or nothing of substance, really. It was just a standard Trump rally where he hit it. He had his greatest hits. He mentioned Dan Bishop's name, Dan Bishop, the Republican in NC9. He mentioned Greg Murphy, the Republican in NC3. And then he left. And uh, we drove back to Raleigh expecting to write about those special elections the rest of the week. Uh, or at least I did. Mm-hmm. You expected to write about the mini budgets that Republicans have been passing to get around uh Governor Cooper's veto of their original big budget package. Right. So the the big news that happened that made national news on Wednesday was not a new topic. All summer long, there has been a state budget standoff between the Democratic governor and the Republican leadership and the House and Senate. So since July 9th, um, there's been on the House calendar um, every session a potential override of Cooper's veto. Uh, it didn't happen. Democrats griped about having to be there when they thought there would be no votes um, just in case. So what the Republican leadership did was start rolling out these mini budgets. And mini budgets were the like uncontroversial things like raises for state employees. And those started going through and, and some were passed. And so I think people maybe got a little too comfortable not expecting that that override could have still happened. Right. And, and so we woke up. Wednesday morning, September 11th, expecting, I expected to write about the special elections, which, right. which both Republicans won. Dan Bishop beat Democrat Dan McCready. Greg Murphy beat, uh, his opponents. I can't remember their names. I think Alan Thomas is one of them. And we were going to look back and, and, and write about what does it mean for Republicans? What does it mean for Democrats? What were the margins of victory? And you were going to write about mini budgets, and Will Doran, our colleague, was going to write about redistricting because right. that's a huge thing. Right, happening redistricting right now too. was the big. That was the big state uh, government story of the week. So I went to. I would plan on going to the House Finance Committee, maybe writing a story, maybe not about the latest mini budget bills and where those were going. And it turns out, about the time that I walked into the legislative building, um, was maybe not even eight forty-five, but just minutes earlier was what ended up making national news. They held a surprise vote. Uh, There were plenty of Republicans there. There were a few Democrats. And the budget was overridden. So you said there were a few Democrats. What happened? Where were they? So the way the um, General Assembly works is there are sometimes just non-voting sessions for procedural reasons. And because redistricting is the big thing this week, there were these um, 830 sessions um, meetings, that, 8.30 meetings. Right, right. And so you find out the day before. The speaker, whoever is presiding, will tell you, you know, if it's going to be a vote session the next day. Uh, speaker Moore was not presiding. It was rules chair David Lewis. And the House Democratic leader, um, Darren Jackson, had talked to Lewis and text, texted with him 
um, earlier in the week about if it was going to be a vote session. So Jackson was under the impression it was not going to be a vote session at 8.30 Wednesday morning. Right. To be clear, though, uh, the budget veto override was on Wednesday's calendar. Right. He, the Democratic leader just thought that they wouldn't vote on it. He thought there was some sort of gentleman's agreement, like, don't worry about being here. Other things are going on. It's 9-11. There's redistricting, and we're all trying to get our ducks in a row for that. Is that correct? Is that fair to say? Right. But Speaker Moore has said all, and what he reiterated at his own press conference later and everything is that when he has the opportunity to, for the votes, he will call the votes. And the Democrats have been complaining that they showed up all these times just in case, and Moore didn't call the vote. Well, Moore wasn't going to call the vote until he thought he could get it. And that's what happened. Right. So he walks in. This is uh, he has said that he walked in and it was spontaneous. He noticed that Republicans had a majority and had enough people and that there were enough Democrats there for a quorum. And then what happened? How did Democrats react when they heard uh, Moore start saying, you know, uh, (laughs) Bill 966 will be called? It blew up. And there's audio you can hear, but the best is the video that another representative, um, Autry, took um, with Representative Deb Butler. And she is shouting at Moore, saying, I will not yield, and microphones are cut, and, and how Sergeant Arms show up. Yes, how dare you, Mr. Speaker. Um, security comms, the Democrats that are in there, there are about a dozen of them, you know, circle her desk, and Republicans are, you know, on their side sitting quietly during during this drama. But what happened, the reason the Democrats were so mad is because they realized what was happening. And when you listen to the audio, um, it's um, Representative Jason Sane is the one that calls for the override. And all of a sudden you hear someone say, what? That's and then, right. I remember listening to it and you can hear a objection. woman's voice. Yes. yes. She's like, what? And then objection, objection. And it takes off. And um so it was quite dramatic, more than uh, it certainly. It descended into average. chaos very quickly. Yes, very quickly, it. and then was over, and people didn't even know what was going on, and media weren't there because we didn't think anything was going to happen that morning. So that's right. We have a colleague, Lauren Horsch, who works for the Insider. She had showed us a video of herself in her security video of herself in her own house running across the room to get to her computer because Mm -hmm. she heard the vote happening. Right. So Lauren was listening from home. Colin Campbell, the front insider, also was listening from home. I was at home. Um, I was apparently the first press in the building because it was about finance time. And I I think a lot of people didn't know what was going on. So I caught Speaker Moore in the hallway as he was going into caucus. He said he'd talk um to us after so i sat outside the room i could hear applause inside and they were caucusing in the room right next to the press conference room right and so then democrats had a lot to say after all was said and done they held a press conference and you went well it wasn't even announced i was sitting outside caucus and the light goes on in the press conference room and i said well maybe this is Moore's going to talk out of the meeting so i go and sit down in there and everyone like tv and everybody is hustling in and i didn't know who was going to show up in the meantime, contacting all these Democrats to get their reaction, and then all the Democrats came in, and they were not happy. How, what did they look like? What, I mean, was there were there throwing things? Actually, if you read Policy Watch, uh, one of the reporters had his cell phone thrown by a Democratic legislator. That could have been an unrelated topic. Uh, right, we that had could no have idea. Been that clearly, was their like... attention. The, the, it was tense. Uh, and Darren Jackson got in front of the microphone and said that he believed there would be no votes. And he, 
Yeah, Jackson came in and, I mean, about like as, as many Democrats as you could get in the room with the fire code came in and everyone was very serious and upset. And, you know, Jackson apologized to um, his caucus because he is the one that told them it was going to be a no vote session, that a, a whole bunch of them didn't need to go. And the vote was 55-9, but there were actually more than uh, nine Democrats there. They just weren't at their desk in time. Again, they, it was, they completely caught off guard. Um, and so they were all pretty upset about it. And Jackson apologized for being the one that told them. He sent them all an email saying it's a no-vote session. So um, Garland Pierce went to a 9-11 ceremony in his district. The, um, the governor was at a 9-11 ceremony. But all we know for now is there was just those two that were doing something else. So right. some national media got it wrong, saying that all the Democrats were at September 11th events, and that's why it, they weren't there. They weren't there because they didn't think they needed to be there. Right. It, and that's one thing that's been misleading throughout this is, you know, uh, the date 9-11 is in the headline of a lot of national stories. And it's true that it was held on 9-11. But Cooper and Garland Pierce are the only people who went to 9-11 events. And at uh, his press conference, Cooper said as much. He said, I was at an event when I heard about this and I didn't see other Democrats, but he referred to the vote as trickery and accused mm-hmm. Republicans of being deceptive. I've never seen him so angry. I've mm-hmm. never seen Cooper so and angry. And Cooper is pretty even um, tempered, I guess. And he's he called tricks and lying and other things throughout the summer during this whole budget standoff. Um, so, but yesterday was a little bit different or well, two days ago. Well, if you think about it, all of their campaigning last year went toward breaking the majority, the Republican supermajority, so that Democrats could wield some influence over big decisions. And the budget was a huge decision. And up until September 11th, the Democrats had done everything right. They had showed up. They made sure people were there. They had fallen in line. They were protecting Cooper's budget veto so that, in theory, uh, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but in theory, he could negotiate for higher teacher raises, uh, Medicaid expansion, mm-hmm. things like that. And then it all fell apart, at least in the House, in one day. Mm-hmm. And we should say that the Senate still needs to vote, but there are fewer people in the Senate, so there are fewer people to flip. Yeah, you know? if everybody's there, um, they only need one Democrat with them to vote for the supermajority. And the Senate will probably take it up next week. We don't know for sure yet. Um, so it could end up a done deal. Um, the other thing to note is that you do need a state budget. And the fiscal year started July 1st, and today is September 13th. Um, so I think a lot of the Republicans, they're saying we were tasked with, you know, coming up with this um, budget. This is this is what we're doing. What is going to come out of this is, I mean, everything is also about 2020. And, you know, Cooper and the budget standoff with Medicaid expansion at the center is, you know, is also um, an election issue. The entire General Assembly is up for election next year. Um, and so people are going to remember this when they're running again in their different districts, because, again, redistricting was supposed to be the big story this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another reason why um, people are caught off guard and why they're upset, because they're busy working on something else. And trust came up that they need to trust their colleagues for all of the press conferences and griping at each other on social media when they're actually in person on the floor. Um, it's they actually do seem to like each other as colleagues across the aisle. Right. But 
this drama has even affected redistricting too because when Deb Butler was arguing with the speaker as the vote was happening in that you know that sort of tirade that that went viral uh, she said something to the effect of we're here we're, we're downstairs working on maps well the redrawing all these districts because they were ruled unconstitutional gerrymanders and there are lots of the the court um, imposed some rules for both sides. Well, Republicans have taken Deb Butler's claim and said, "Whoa, what were you doing drawing maps? That that might violate the court order." So even even there, you, and you can see some of those uh, those claims on Twitter that Republicans are making. Um, the distrust is now seeping into the redistricting. Um, and who knows where it goes from there? I mean, I, it, it certainly seems like this is going to affect relationships from, for, from now until maybe the end of the year. I think so. And I'm at a kind of a small protest and press conference the morning after. Uh, Butler was there along with other Democrats, um, including um, Senator Van Dyne, who's also running for lieutenant governor. And she is calling for Speaker Moore to resign. And I ended up talking to her after the Senate session later that day and said, well, what does this really mean? Is it like a public calling out? Are you filing some sort of paperwork or some sort of ethics? And and she hadn't looked into that yet. It was more of a, um, a public calling out. But what to Butler, with her talking, she kind of turned it into, um, she, she actually called it a meltdown, what she had. And then someone said, a melt up. And she said, okay, a melt up. And um, she talked about um, this phrase that's taken off where, you know, I will not yield. And she kind of used um, her time at that more or less a rally to be a little more inspirational and saying, like, you know, this is in all of you. And I stood up and did this. Um, and then she also mentioned that um, the election, she said something about the, you know, see you at the ballot box or that equivalent. So all of this is tied not just to the day-to-day governing of the state, but to who actually gets to be the ones governing. Right. I think people will remember that the vote was held the morning of 9-11. And then insiders, I think, will remember that Jackson's claim, that Lewis told him there wouldn't be a vote. Mm-hmm. And we should also clarify that we have not found Uh, definitive evidence that he told him that. There's no email documentation. There's no text Mm -hmm. that Jackson has shown us. Um, There is a text that's going around um, on social media that we're aware of, and that's one that David Lewis sent to Laura Leslie, an WRAL reporter, where he said, no votes at 830. Mm -hmm. And so people point to that and say, oh, well, that's proof. That's proof that David Lewis thought there would be no votes. Right. Well, that's what he told a reporter. A reporter doesn't vote, though. A reporter is not, you know, technically part of the Democratic caucus. Right. And uh, there's the maybe he didn't. Maybe that's what he thought. We don't we don't know. We don't know for sure. Even Jackson with the text he had with Lewis earlier in the week, I said, can you show us those texts? And he said, well, I don't have them anymore. Right. But then also when it came down to the exact what were your texts and conversations about, it was about timing of caucusing. Caucus is just a word when everyone in the party goes into a conference room and meets. But they say, like, we're going to go have and they always want to caucus before a vote. And so is it the technicality exactly of what they said or didn't say? We don't have a record of that. We do. We are aware of a record. Uh, We are aware that Republicans were ready to vote. Because uh, last night, um, 
I reported a story that John Hardister, the majority whip for the Republicans, sent a text to, he said, about eight or ten Republican members. Um, he described the members as those who commute from out of Raleigh and reminded them to be there at 830 in their seats. And that's gotten a lot of that story's gotten a lot of traction online because uh, Democrats say, well, that's proof. They knew what they were going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hardister sent that text and told them to be there at 830. You know, that's proof that there was some manipulation happening. Republicans say, oh, that's standard procedure. Whenever there's a voting session, we just text and reach out to all of our members or the ones that commute and say, hey, reminder, it starts at 830 today. Who you believe probably depends on your political leanings. I would say that that this this isn't over yet, that this is this kind of this is going to come up in a lot of different ways. And again, um, overriding the governor's veto doesn't work unless the Senate also does it. So we could have a version of part two of this. Um, so more, I think more craziness. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I, I would say so. Our editor Jordan Schrader um, is not on t- today's Domecast. Uh, as we mentioned before, I'm Don Vaughn with Andy Spay. We're both reporters, so we could decide our headliners. And, uh, I and think it's pretty obvious what the headline was this week. The he- do we want to pick a person, or the override vote is a headliner? Deb Butler would be the person, or maybe it's Speaker Moore, or it's Darren Jackson, or it's David Lewis. I mean, I. I think you can go with any of those. I think Speaker Moore and Deb Butler got the most media attention. Yep. And then, but underlying all of it is the relationship and what was said between Darren Jackson and David Lewis. Um, You know? Yeah, trust, the trust issue that they have. Um, And they were pretty cordial on the floor. Um, to each other. So um, we'll leave it up to you. <laughs> you can talk, talk amongst yourselves of who you think is the one. Uh, I would say that Representative Deb Butler was someone that wasn't high on the mm. radar of, of people. Everybody knows if you're in anything about state politics, everybody knows who Speaker Moore is, but not everybody knows who Deb Butler is or they didn't before Wednesday. And she's the only one not in leadership among those four, uh, you know, Lewis is a top Republican. He's in charge of mm-hmm. um, a lot of the redistricting stuff right. going on. Darren Jackson's the minority leader. Speaker Moore obviously has his huge role. Deb Butler came out of nowhere, now has a viral video, has a hashtag, I will mm-hmm. not yield. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Maybe that shows up again in campaign season next year. Yeah, so the next time um, you'll hear from us, we'll probably talk about redistricting. Again, what was the big story still is a big story. It got got trumped by this, and Will Doran's been reporting that even with new developments today. So there'll be plenty more to talk about with however that pans out. All right. Thank you for joining us this week's edition of Domecast. For Don Vaughn, I'm Andy Spay. Um, have a great weekend. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News & Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.